Welcome, Fertility Sisters, to the True Fertility Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Nicole Trujillo, a wife, mom, and therapist turned fertility coach after a challenging seven-year journey to conceive. Join me for stories from those who've walked this path, tips for your fertility and IVF journey, and some fertility-related girl talk. So let's sprinkle some of that baby dust because it's time for True Fertility. Picture it. You've been trying to conceive for three years. You finished all of the testing and exams, and you finally got cleared for your round of IVF. You've paid $15,000 for this first round, and you are doing everything in your power to make this first round successful. And then the nurse whisks you through a one-minute demo of what you're supposed to do with your medications and injections or even worse, just sends you a YouTube video. You're left unsure of what you're supposed to do or when and terrified you're going to mess it up somehow. Well, no longer, my friend. Today, I wanted to get expert input on all things fertility injections. I'll ask about the types of injections to expect, the difficulty of them, what to do to prepare, the biggest mistakes people make, and how to even help them make them, and how to help make them less of a pain in the ass, literally. If you're gearing up for a round of IVF or IUI, or even if you've been through a few, you don't want to miss today's episode. Now, before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to offer my listeners an opportunity to snag my free class, Triple your IVF success with less stress. Inside this free masterclass, you'll receive two simple tools that you can start on today that have been proven to triple your success rates when trying to conceive. These tools not only help you boost your fertility, but also help you feel better now. So if you're looking to get your baby in your arms faster, reduce the number of IVF rounds, and ultimately save money, time, and energy, this is the tool for you. Go to www.leahnicolecoaching.com, that's L-E-A-N-I-C-O-L-E, coaching.com to grab this free class while it's available. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the True Fertility Podcast. I'm your host, Leah, and I am here today with my friend, Megan of 412 Fertility. How are you Thank doing you today? so much for having me. I'm so good. How are you? Good, good. Well, I am so thrilled that you agreed to be on today's show. First off, I just want to say Megan is a registered nurse who formerly worked in the OR of a fertility clinic. After going through fertility treatments herself, she founded 412 Fertility, which is an injection administration and medication teaching service for fertility patients, which, wow, what a huge amount of expertise that we have here today with Megan. And honestly, aside from just expertise and knowledge in the fertility world, I love like looking at everything that Megan shares on social media because she just is so relatable mm-hmm. and super authentic with everything that she shares. She just really shares it how it is. And it, I love that because sometimes I feel like 
we maybe are a little afraid to put everything like our true emotions out there. And I love that you're a voice for us. Thank you. So I appreciate that so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. That makes me smile more than I could ever. I mean, you could see it, but more than I could ever say. So thank you. Yeah, definitely. And also just wanted to spend a moment getting to know Megan on a little bit deeper level for everyone here. So we're going to do a fun little round of rapid fire questions. Okay. And um, so, yeah, if we're up for that, let's yeah, get I'm ready. into it. Let's go. Okay. So first one, dun, dun, dun. tell me what kind of cook you are. Are you the takeout queen, <laughs> simple Susie, or gourmet goddess? Which one are you? Definitely not a gourmet goddess. I feel like my husband and I are takeout king and queen. <laughs> I don't like to eat out at restaurants, so he will get something on his way home. If I do cook, it's, I used, so I used to meal prep. Like oh, I was wow. a meal prepper and like I would uh-huh. have my chicken and turkey and rice and sweet potatoes. And now I'm like, I don't know. I feel like infertility has made me a worse eater because I eat my emotions. So yeah, definitely not a queen at cooking. <laughs> hey, but that meal prepping, that takes a lot of coordination it and like, does. yeah, scheduling out yes. and like thinking of all of your meals for the week. So Which is why yeah. I don't really do it that much. I should get yeah. back to it, but I don't do it that much anymore. Yeah. Hey, we got to give ourselves that grace sometimes. So yeah, we yeah. do. I agree. Okay. Next question is, what's your favorite reality TV show and why? Oh, I don't watch much reality TV. I know you do. Honestly, if I'm going to watch TV, it's like Law & Order SVU uh-huh. that I've watched forever. And then like new things like Shit's Creek or like stuff on Netflix. I would say I did have a very small like Kardashian era where I really liked following, yeah. like keeping up with them. Yeah, I would say reality TV isn't that. It's not my jam. Unpopular opinion over here. Yeah, no, all good. I mean, hey, you like that true crime stuff, which I you do, know, yeah. doesn't love a good murder show, right? Exactly. But it, yeah, I did notice and I did have a hunch and that is why I chose this question for you because <laughs> I was assuming that you were a big Keeping Up With The Kardashians fan because you do the best um, lip sync videos. Right. I did. So I would say yeah. if I had to choose, it would be them. Although I'm not like a mm-hmm. diehard Kardashian fan either. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not either. Everyone knows them at this point in America. Absolutely. And I did watch them like in the very beginning. Yes. But I haven't watched them in at least 10 years. Yeah. I mean, they like are not going away. Yeah. Yeah. Never. I don't think. (laughs) But okay, cool. And the last question is, do you have any pets? And can you tell us about them? Yes. I love them. They are my little like soulmate. I have two pit bulls. Roman is 10, which I can't even believe I have had him since he was eight weeks old. So I am like total dog mom. And then Jada is she's a pit bull American like bulldog mix. So she's a pretty hefty girl, but she's such Mm -hmm. a sweetheart. She just turned eight. So they're a little on the older side and they I mean, they will forever be my babies. I feel like even if we are graced to have a human baby, like they will still be my little loves. 
Oh, of course. Like for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's amazing. Like you said, 10 and 8. Like I'm sure it feels like yesterday. Oh that my you gosh. Just them, right? I know. I mean, I remember holding Roman in one hand. That's how little he was. And now he's, I don't know, 75 pounds. And he's just, he's so funny. You would think he was the puppy because he still will want to play all day long. But then he'll have his moments where he'll be whining at me because he wants to go cuddle on the couch. So it's oh my god, <laughs> he was a huge help during all of my fertility journey. Anytime I was mm-hmm. upset, he would be right there. Like he knew I'm not going to bug mom to play. I just need to be there and cuddle with her. So it's nice oh, to have them. I love that. Sweet boys. Thank you for answering those Absolutely. questions. That was fun. You, if you don't mind, Megan, sharing a little bit more about your story and kind of how you came into doing what you currently do. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll try to keep this short because I feel like there's so much that I could go on a tangent about. But essentially, I am based in Pittsburgh. I've been a nurse for going on five years. I started off in the emergency room and then COVID happened. I got very burnt out. So I was looking for a change. I ended up working in the operating room of a fertility clinic, like you had mentioned. So I did pre-op, intra-op, and post-op for patients doing egg retrievals, DNCs, hysteroscopies. We did assist with transfers, even though those were not in the OR. And then shortly after that, I would say I was there not even a year. I was talking to one of the fellow physicians, and I said, hypothetically, If you had somebody X, Y, Z, and I was really talking about myself, and I'm pretty sure she knew that. I said, what would you do? I was at a point where I felt like I was a little in denial. I feel like a lot of women I talk to, they say, oh, I knew right away something was wrong. I was like the opposite. I was like, it will be fine. It will, you know, it's going to happen. It is what it is. So as I'm talking to my friend and fellow physician were setting up the OR and she said, oh, I would start by doing OPK testing. So the ovulation testing at home. But I was like, I came home, talked to my husband about it. I was like, I don't know. I just don't really feel like we need that. Joke's on me because we ended up doing that for months and months. It got to the point that I was like obsessively like peeing on the little OPK sticks. And like I was ordering the bulk ones from Amazon, the premium strips and It was just very Mm -hmm. consuming for me. And then we moved on to six medicated cycles. So I was on letrozole. I did Clomid one month and I did not agree with Clomid. Clomid and I are not friends at all. So none of those cycles worked. So then we moved on to IUIs. And I was like each step, I was just so stubborn about it because I had worked in that specialty I was in denial personally, so I was like, do I really want to go down this road? So I said, we'll do three medicated cycles. We ended up doing six. I said, we'll do three IUIs. We ended up doing four. I said, we would never do IVF. We just did an egg retrieval last week. You get into this point where it's almost like this desperation of maybe I should just try it because maybe this is what will work for me. So to rewind a little bit, As I was working in the clinic, I was also going through my own journey. And I remember I would be pre-oping a patient and then I would go to my ultrasound and then I would come back and I would post-op a patient and I would have 
my coworker draw my blood. And it was just a lot of, I felt very burnt out. But I always knew that I wanted to continue my professional journey in this specialty because it is very near and dear to me. So about this time last year, we were doing our last IUI, or I'm sorry, maybe our second to last because we did out on a fourth, even though I was like against it. And I started feeling like I needed to do something a little more than I was doing at the fertility clinic as a nurse. And <laughs> during our, I think it was, was our second IUI, I had to do a trigger shot. And I, again, I had worked in the emergency room. I can poke anybody anywhere. It's, I have no problem with that. But whenever I had to trigger myself, I was like, I don't want to do that. So as funny as it is to say, because this is literally what I do now for a living. This is what I've been doing for five years and then plus nursing school. So it's been like seven years at this point. I just was very nervous. So then I thought, if I'm feeling this way and I have that professional experience, how are other people feeling? So talking to patients at the clinic, talking to friends, I really just decided this is what I'm going to do. So this was all happening behind the scenes starting December of last year. And then March of this year, I left my job at the fertility clinic and I have been doing 412 Fertility since March 17th, going to people's homes. I will do the injection administration where I have clients that want nothing to do with it. And I'm totally okay with that. I would rather be the calm resource than them being very nervous about it. And I feel like there's, you know, we'll touch on this in a bit, but a lot of room for error. So just to be that knowledgeable, skilled resource, but also with the, I guess, compassion as a patient as well. That's what I like. That's my vision. So I've been fortunate enough to do this since March. Wow. Honestly, I wish I would have known about you or found you when I was in the midst of, you know, going through all those injections. And I'm sure you're a godsend for your clients who are already so stressed out to just be in this position in the first place. And the last thing they need is to be worried about how to administer the injections and the medication correctly, especially when there's so much weighing on it. Yes. Um, and I think like I wanted to talk with you about that because I feel like as a patient who, again, as you mentioned, most of us do not have the luxury of having your background about injections. Honestly, I'm the type of person that I can't even really look at blood or injections. Like when people draw blood from me, I cannot look at it. Like I will pass out. You are so not I allowed. Always look <laughs> in this direction. Yeah. So when you're, again, you're in that position, they tell you, okay, let's do IVF. We do your sonogram. Looks good. Let's go. We're ordering you the medications. You just go pick them up. And oh, real quick, here's how you do it. You're going to have this file. You're going to have this one. You're going to mix them. You're going to put this much. You're going to use this needle. Then you're going to switch to this other one and you're good, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here you go. And again, like this medication is what you are relying on mm -hmm. to get you these results of building your family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think the more people I talk to about it, whether it's my own clients or people that I meet in the community, it's 
very interesting and it's honestly very frustrating for me that we as a society and as an industry allow people to order thousands of dollars of medicine you either go pick it up or it arrives at your doorstep you have this box of different needles and syringes and like you said you have to mix them and you essentially get a YouTube video saying here's how to do it and while I do think the videos are great I in a perfect world I would love for my clients to watch the video if they wanted the teaching for me watch the video have me come in we do a hands-on session but I think just having that as your only resource is insane to me and you're right you are banking on this medicine to work you're hoping that you do everything that you should be doing and then it's this added nerve that it's okay if I mess this up am I going to ruin my entire cycle and that's where again like I just want to be that calm person that's able to draw it up give it to you move on you just did your first injection congratulations instead of it being don't get me wrong my clients are still nervous because they have a stranger coming to them to give them an injection for something so important but again just removing that um worry that you're going to mess it up, I think is huge. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I guess, can you shed some light first off? I know I mentioned like real quick, like mixing ones, Mm -hmm. and I am only going off of my own personal experience with the injections that I had to take. But can you tell us about the different types of injections that there are within assisted reproductive technology? Absolutely. Um, And what to expect between the variations? Yeah. So I would, I think a lot of people, when they hear of fertility injections, they think IVF. But like I said and had mentioned, for IUIs, I needed to do an injectable trigger. So I think that um, alone can confuse people, especially people that have no knowledge and research into any of this. Mm -hmm. So you can have an HCG trigger for an IUI or a timed intercourse cycle, depending on where you're at. You can even do that. I know that there are clinics that do like gonadotropins and FSH without doing a full-blown IVF cycle. So I think there's a misconception that fertility injections are only for IVF. But Mm -hmm. as far as, oh my gosh, as far as the medications go, besides a trigger, you have your PENS, which are your Folistim or your Gonolef. And just learning how to put the PENS together can be I think the easiest whenever I'm teaching somebody how to do it. But again, it's you have to make sure you have the right cartridge or the right little needle that you're attaching to it. You have to make sure you're twisting it to the appropriate way. Menopure, mm-hmm. I think, is a big one. Are the pens for like typically for an IVF stimulation aspect? Typically, yes. But I have seen some clinics, none that I have personal experience with, but just People on like Instagram and people that I've talked to who were on injectables during a timed intercourse cycle and that have gotten pregnant from that. I think there are more clinics that don't prefer to do it that way, but it is possible to do it outside of an IVF cycle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then Menopure, I don't know if you've had that one. A lot of people say it's the burn and that one, I will say... Since I had started giving it versus whenever I had to take it for myself, I've definitely switched the way that I give it now because of my experience with menopure. It does not feel good. 
And I know that everyone says that, but then it's, I think, just a different understanding now that I've done it on my own. Mm -hmm. And then there's people will go on Lupron for suppression or you can be on Lupron for trigger. There are so many different types of medicine that people can be on. But I would say for IVF, I would say the three main four technically main injections used in IVF would be an FSH pen. So your follicular stimulating hormone, which stimulates Mm -hmm. those ovaries, which is mostly called here, at least in America, Folistim, gone laugh. There might be some other name brands that I don't know of, but those are ones I'm familiar with. And then there is the HMG Menopure, which also helps to stimulate those ovaries and those follicles. Once they get past a certain threshold, you'll be started on what's called an antagonist. And that's just to prevent those follicles from ovulating and keeping your LH down so that you don't ovulate before you're ready for retrieval. But then because Mm -hmm. you're on an antagonist for X amount of days, you then take a trigger, which triggering your body into ovulating, but then also helps the final maturity of those eggs. Wow. Okay. So multitasking there. (laughs) Absolutely. And with those, there are the pens, like we mentioned, the Menopure is the one that you have to mix the diluent with the powder. And I have so many people, they're like, oh, I feel like I'm like in a chemistry lab or like I'm a doctor because it is a little overwhelming when you first start because you're trying to mix everything appropriately. And then the antagonist is typically just a syringe. And then the trigger as well can either be a syringe or you're mixing those. But most of them are all subcutaneous. Sometimes people will do a trigger I am like in your glute, but those are, again, just certain clinics do things a little bit differently. And then post, like when you're after you do or when you're getting ready for your transfer, my my doctor had prescribed me intramuscular injections like in my butt. Yeah. Yes. So that's a whole other set of that too. Oh, yes. Those ones people are very nervous about and rightfully so because you're so used to doing the subcutaneous for your IVF stim. Once you get ready for embryo transfer and you have that much bigger needle, you don't have the access of going right to your belly. You, You are doing it in your glute muscle. Those ones can be very intimidating. I think I I would say I probably have a majority of PIO clients because it, it is just a different beast for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like out of those that we all that we covered, would you say that those are the most difficult to administer, the intramuscular ones? I would say the the PIO would be only because it's a different angle. It's a bigger needle. People get very intimidated, again, rightfully so, about that. And even me, I, like I, I do this for a living and even preparing for my own embryo transfer months down the road, I know that I'll be able to do my right side. I don't think I can contort my body to do my left side and I am not good with my left hand. I, mm-hmm. There's just no way. So I'm so working through how I'm going to get to that point, but... Yeah. And and just to be clear, PIO is progesterone in oil. That's a pretty common one that um, 
is prescribed when you're doing the embryo transfer mm-hmm. prepping. And then also after you have the embryo transfer, you still have to take that for many weeks yes. after yes. to just maintain that lining. Absolutely. Yeah. You'll be doing progesterone typically five days prior to embryo transfer and then up to most clinics stick to that 10-week gestation. And that is typically your placenta starts taking over progesterone production about seven to eight weeks. So most clinics will take you to 10 just as a threshold. I have had clients in the past that used to do it to 13 weeks, but then that kind of got lowered a little bit. Just again, like scientific-based evidence shows that we, you can stop at 10 and it, would, it should be okay. But that is one that you have to really, I think, prepare for. Yeah. Wow. I mean, if you're going to do a full IVF cycle, including the transfer, mm-hmm. we're basically talking about anywhere between what, 13 to 15, 16 weeks possibly of injections? Yes. I would. Yeah. yeah if I you're going so. like straight into a fresh transfer after an egg retrieval, absolutely. I know that ASRM, they say on average, somebody going through an IVF stim plus a transfer will have up to 90 injections, which sounds wow. like a lot. Yeah. yeah, definitely a lot. Yeah, thanks for shedding so much light on that. And Absolutely. just so we know what to expect with that injections. Yes. So where do they get administered? I know we were talking a little bit about ones on your backside. So you mm-hmm. like your butt area. Can you tell us like, really, is it in your butt or how does this go? Yeah, absolutely. I. It's funny that you say that because I have a client that I have given weeks and weeks of PIO injections to. And she sent me this meme that said, something about I always have your back and then in parentheses side because I that's just where you have to go so essentially yes if you are doing an intramuscular gluteal injection it will be in the glute muscle I like to always say if you divide you have one cheek you're going to divide into four quadrants and it's going to be in that upper outer quadrant because if you start going towards the middle or towards like the center of your backside that's where your sciatic nerve runs. So mm. in order to avoid okay. that, you are going a little up and out that people, I think, more than people would expect. And I think a great tip that I took, I don't even remember, I might have heard it from Dr. Laura Shaheen, who is out of Pacific Northwest, I believe. She, her or someone had said that if you envision where your pocket is on your jeans or whatever pants you have on. Mm-hmm. If you envision where your pocket is and you take that upper outer corner of that pocket, that's where you want to go. So just to give a little visual. Okay. If that, yeah, if that helps. That's yeah. like the perfect. Yeah, spot. definitely. Because again, if you're just hearing this and you think your butt, you're thinking of your butt, thinking, you know? Right. You're thinking your butt, butt. Yeah. In, in your I, booty. Your booty. That's right. Yeah. And I've even seen... I know that the little worksheets that we would give out at my old clinic, they would have these silly little like illustrations, but it almost looked like where they put the X's. It was like in your hip bone. Yeah. Well, it's still your booty, but it's not your yeah. booty. It's a Got little it. corner of your booty. <laughs> I love that. Thanks for illustrating that for us. So Absolutely. we're a little clear on what that means. And as far as the other ones, 
they're in your stomach then, right? Or like, yeah. how does that explain that to us? Yeah. So subcutaneous is essentially the subcutaneous or fatty layer of tissue. So essentially how you, so any of those sub-Q injections, you have to pinch an inch of skin and then inject into that, that pinched skin that you have. And what that does is it allows for the fatty layer to be pulled from that abdominal muscle and that's where you want that injection to go versus the ones in your backside. Those are intramuscular, meaning you want to get into the muscle. So with the belly ones, I just to give an illustration about this one, too. My favorite thing to say to clients is if you picture your belly button as your nose, you can inject anywhere in your smile. Meaning if you are, have a full blown smile and you have your dimple, you can inject anywhere in that area. I personally never like to go above the belly button. I think that tissue is way more sensitive and painful. So I always tell clients, if you picture that nose as your belly button, go over an inch or two, and you can even go underneath if you'd like to. I don't personally inject directly below the belly button, again, just mm -hmm. because of that, that, that tissue there. But I think that's another one of my favorite sayings is, nose is your belly button, inject in the smile. I love that. That's so helpful. Definitely. Yeah. And so can you actually self-administer then all of them for a typical person? Yeah, Is absolutely. Is like expected? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. It's, I think it's definitely expected from the clinic side. I think they essentially you're starting your IVF meds between 6 to 9 p.m., which is when the offices are closed, which is another reason why I I will go to wherever, whenever a client needs. But essentially, yeah, you can absolutely administer yourself. I think a lot of my clients will book like a medication teaching on their first night so that I'm at least there to show them, walk them through, and then either do their first injections and show them how, or they like to do it and make sure that I can say, yes, you passed, you're, you're going to be great. Or maybe we should tweak this. This is what you want to do instead thing. But I think all of the subcutaneous injections can 1000%, even the IM injection, honestly, I've seen tons of amazing women on Instagram who I think one was like at a Taylor Swift concert and she was giving herself, a, I assume it's PIO, I don't, I shouldn't assume, but it was an IM injection. So it's definitely possible. For sure. Wow, that is brave. At a Taylor Swift concert, I, I can't even know. imagine. I can't. It's impressive. And like the patient in me is, oh my gosh, that's amazing. She's a rock star. And then the nurse in me is, did she like are her hands clean? Did she taken some safety precautions? Yeah, no, definitely. I will be honest. Like for me personally, yes, the subcutaneous, the ones in my belly, that was okay for me to do on my own, but the intramuscular on the backside, the needle is longer. And I just wanted to, again, be sure that I was getting it in the right spot. So I made my husband do all of those. Yes. Is I, that kind of typical? For my client, clients, absolutely. They, again, I will go over, show the husband, the wife, mom, whoever, how it's done. I'll do the first one just for peace of mind. And then we'll have them take over from there. But mm -hmm. even like I said earlier, for me, pretty confident that I could do my own. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think that I can contort my body enough to do my left side or like your non-dominant side. 
So I yeah. think for that reason, I would highly consider having someone help you if possible, just because you do want to make sure you're getting it into the right area. However, that's not to say that the area is super tiny, but again, that upper outer quadrant that you want to stick to in order to prevent getting a nerve or in an area that yeah. you don't want to inject. And it's funny because while I was grateful, obviously, that my husband like was helping me with that, again, also, it's his deal too. Like it's not just me going right. through IVF, it's really us. So And I think it's a great grateful. for the husbands to feel like they're helping. Yeah, definitely. But I also had a little bit of a love-hate relationship with that aspect because yes, it's great that he was doing it. The other part of me was like, wait, did you underdose that one a little bit or did you overdose too sure. much? Or oh my gosh, you put that one in not straight on. Yeah. And that one hurt and all of these things. Yeah. It's Absolutely. Funny. And I think even I've said to clients of my own that while I do not want to hurt anyone, obviously, an injection is going to be a little painful or it could be very painful for other people. But I don't have that personal relationship with them. I'm not married to them. I, You know what I mean? So I think to have someone like me do your injection or at least showing your husband or whoever how to do it versus your husband just doing it. He also doesn't want to hurt you either. So to take away those nerves, I do find it helpful to be there for the first one, maybe first couple yeah. to make sure that it's getting done yeah, definitely. appropriately. Have you ever heard, and I've seen this, I've never used this and I don't even know what it's called, but An it's some device that like Yes, thank you. Yeah. What is that? And is that ever helpful? Yeah. So I think they can be, I've personally never used one. So I guess I, I shouldn't speak to a T about it, but I've had clients actually go to use them and then end up not using them. Essentially, I think they're super helpful for some people. It does inject the needle into your backside. But you still have to push the plunger, which I think people are like, I would just rather do it myself. But I was thinking about this mm -hmm. for even like my own cycle. If I do need to do my left side, I think it would be easier for me to use something like an auto injector just so that I can kind of place where I want and have it like dart in versus just trying to aim myself. But I will say for people that are looking for an auto injector, there are different needles from my understanding that you can choose from. I've had a client who had her auto injector. I was playing around with it because I was very honest that I had never used one before. So I said, let me just make sure I'm understanding this before I use it on you. And I was mm -hmm. noticing that the needle was not coming out of the auto injector all of the way. And because mm -hmm. it was needed for an IM injection, I was concerned that needle was not going to hit the appropriate area that it needed to. Because typically an IM injection is a one to a one and a half inch needle, typically depending on your BMI. So if you're, if I'm using only five eighths of that needle, then am I getting into her muscle? I wasn't sure. So I said, I unfortunately don't feel comfortable using this. And she was great about it. But I would say if you're going to search for an auto injector, injector, make sure that you are getting the appropriate size needle. 
Okay. Thanks for that. That's such a great tip. Yeah. And when we're out there doing our medications or using possible devices or having people help us, like our husbands or whoever that may be, family member, whoever that is, can you do any damage to your body if you do them wrong? I would say subcutaneously, it would. I would think that would be a little difficult to do mm-hmm. actual damage. So say, for example, the differences between the sub-Q injections that we talked about versus that bigger needle for the IM. I think if you were to take an IM needle and inject that subcutaneously into your belly, that could maybe cause some damage. I don't know to what extent, but I think for PIO or IM purposes, if you do hit that sciatic nerve, that can be very painful. I don't think that you would cause extreme damage per se, but I have seen some horrific photos of some infection and other things related to like unsafe and unclean practices involving injections. So I would say my biggest advice on that is wash your hands, use your alcohol prep pads, and do your very best to make sure you're doing it correctly. Which I know is like easier said than done because I'm sure if you're giving yourself the injections, you think you're doing it correctly. But research, watch those videos, call me something just to make sure that everything is being done appropriately. Yeah, that that sounds scary, but definitely avoidable if you just do go through that same process each time with, again, I need to wash my hands. I need to use the alcohol white pad, prep pad. And I need to make sure, again, I'm using a needle that I just opened up right now Yes, to help reduce risk of that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, definitely never reuse a needle. As soon as you're done, throw that in your sharps container and kind of try to stick to these safe practices, which again, like just going back to how as an industry we allow people to just do this without proper technique and proper teaching is beyond me because we spent so much time in nursing school learning what proper steps are and safe procedures and protocols. And I think there are a lot of great resources out there, though, to help prevent these terrible things from happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, You being one of them. Thank you. So aside from any damage physically to our body, what about the timing of the meds and how important is that and to your outcome? And is there any flexibility in that? Yeah, absolutely. For trigger, so if you are triggering for an IUI or for retrieval, that is absolutely 100% on the money minute to what they told you. Same thing goes for the antagonist, which is the medicine that prevents your body from ovulating. Essentially, you don't want to go over a 24-hour time frame from your last injection. So they will say, make sure you are to the minute at the same time every single day. For me personally, to help that while I was doing it, I set my alarm. I did mine every morning at 7.30 a.m. So by 7.25, I was downstairs in my kitchen, gotten out of the fridge. And I had my phone at the counter with my prepared medicine so I could watch right away. So it, I think it 729, I would open my alcohol pad. I would wipe my belly so that 
my belly was dried by the time 7.30 hit. And then when my alarm went off at 7.30, I was injecting. Mm -hmm. So to that one, I definitely would take seriously in terms of time. Most clinics, however, not all, so I do not want anybody to quote me on this, will give like an hour leeway for the pens or for that menopure. Most clinics, I think, would recommend sticking to the same time every day. But again, I've seen some clinics that will give a little leeway in terms of flexibility. Mm -hmm. And then I've even seen for PIO, I've seen clinics that are very particular about wanting to stick to the same time. And then other clinics that are like, as long as you get it around the same time every day. So I would say, listen to what your specific doctor is telling you to do and what your medical team is saying for you specifically. But the antagonist and that trigger, those I think are the most important in general speaking terms. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. And so like worst case, let's say what are the implications if you did not do your trigger when they told you to do it? Yeah. So trigger is essentially, again, what's triggering your body into that ovulation, which is typically 35, 36 hours prior to your egg retrieval. So if they are basing your egg retrieval for Sunday at 1130, because that's when they fit you in on the OR schedule, then your trigger would be Friday at 11.30 p.m. So it's very specific on when they want that trigger to be based on the time that your eggs are being retrieved. There is some leeway I know from just speaking with doctors in my clinic that I used to work at. However, that is not necessarily something that they want to go down. If, say, though, that the OR is running behind. I know for my specific retrieval, I think I was scheduled at 1130, but I don't think I went in until 1145. That's okay. There is some leeway that they have that it's not like you triggered at this specific time and you have to have your eggs retrieved right then and there, but they want to make sure that you are still following that time so that you have the best results possible. So I say that to say, do your trigger at the time they tell you because it is super important for your OR time. But if they are running behind or you don't end up in the OR right at that exact time, it that's okay. Yeah. As far as antagonist goes, if you are missing an antagonist injection by hours, your body could trigger those follicles or in those eggs that we're trying to grow. So I think it's so much better to be safe than sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Again, especially because you've put in so much work yeah. to be here, to get here. And the last thing you want to do is have subpar results of your collection of your eggs mm -hmm. or again, delay your cycle if you end up ovulating. Yeah. So Absolutely. just making sure the timing is there is yes. super huge. And also even on the transfer aspect too, because again, what I was told at least is that there's a certain amount of time that they need to give you the progesterone um, before your body is ready for a receptive, actually, for an embryo. So again, they need to know exactly what how long you've been on progesterone to fit in that window in which, again, your body's going to be receptive to your embryo. Yes, absolutely. Um, so super important with the timing, which is... It's, interesting to me. It's very yeah. interesting and it's very runs your life. 
So I will say just be mindful of any plans that you are making in terms of when you're going through IVF and you have your antagonist scheduled in the morning and then all of a sudden you have a business meeting you need to attend or whatever it is. And there is leeway, however, though, with that one that you can choose the time that you want between certain hours. But that trigger time, the progesterone, the, those ones are told to you. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, aside from the timing and everything, let's get into a little bit more of how we can possibly reduce the pain and potential bruising that comes along with this because I have seen some pretty terrible pictures, unfortunately, of other women who have gone through this and they have had pretty severe bruising going on. Um, And I myself have experienced some pain on certain injections, not Mm -hmm. all of them, but on some of them, and also some like swelling and um, kind of just general uncomfortableness in that area. Yeah. Um, And this question is actually going to be exclusive to the True Fertility Tribe members. Um, But yeah, let's get into that. Are you interested in getting the answer to this question? Well, this is your personal invite to join our exclusive Facebook group to dive deeper into the world of fertility with bonus clips, behind the scenes content, and intimate discussions. Here you can connect with fellow tribe members, share your experiences, and contribute your insights to shape the future of the show. And it's easy to join. Just search True Fertility Tribe on Facebook answer a few questions, and you're in. I also have the direct link in the show notes below. See you there. What is progesterone and why is it different than the other medications? And then we'll talk yes. about kind of how we can help limit Absolutely. its effects. So the progesterone, PIO, progesterone in oil, is exactly what it sounds like. It is in oil. So it is a lot thicker than any of the stim medications that you would be used to drawing up or administering to yourself. Even drawing up and injecting PIO will feel a little differently. I mean, you might not notice if you're doing a frozen transfer and it's been a while, but if you're going right in, you might notice that it does have a thicker consistency. But there is also PIO or progesterone that's mixed in ethyl oleate, which is not as thick, but any oil that you have is going to be thicker. So with that one and with it going into your glute, I personally don't recommend ice prior. I recommend heat. I also recommend heating that syringe with your body temperature. I don't recommend putting it on a heating pad only because, and again, this is just like the nurse brain in me, the syringe is plastic I don't love putting that directly onto a heat source where if you put it like under your armpit or in your bra or just hold it in your hand, your body temperature isn't going to mess with any of the plastic that syringe Mm. is made of. I think another thing with the progesterone in terms of it not hurting as much is really just prevention of those knots in the lumping because... Every patient that I've had, honestly, every single one that I've given a progesterone injection to always say to me, oh my God, that wasn't as bad as I thought upon retracting the needle and the injection being over. 
it's definitely the anxiety. It's scary looking at that needle. But then they always say, oh, my gosh, that wasn't as bad as I thought, because you're going into a different space. You're going into the muscle. It's meant for that needle to to reach it. Right. But Mm -hmm. as people get further along, as we had talked about, you can be on PIO for 10 weeks. Once you start getting those knots and those lumps, that can make it 10 times worse in terms of pain goes. So in order to prevent or to help minimize the knots and the lumping, I recommend heat, massage, movement. So use heat before, use heat after. A massage gun will be your very best friend. If you do not have one, guess what your husband's going to be doing? And he won't mind because he'll be massaging your butt. And then movement. (laughs) So I know a lot of clients and patients that I've had, they will say, it sounds crazy to even recommend this because it just sounds nuts. But if you do squats and lunges immediately after those injections, which I know people are like, I don't want to do that. I wouldn't want to either. But it, the movement of that muscle will really help dissipate that oil and not have it clump bump all in that one spot. And then I will also say, if you do have those knots or lumping, do not inject directly into that area. Move that needle over so that you're avoiding that because that will increase your discomfort times 100. Yeah. Yeah. And in general, for all of them, you're also like alternating, right? Absolutely. You're doing a day, you wouldn't just inject in the same spot in general. Exactly. Yep. So the needles are so tiny that I know a lot of people, they'll say, oh, if I'm doing my, say you're doing a shot in your belly and you're doing the right side, Mm -hmm. like, how am I going to know that I don't hit the same spot. The chances are, I mean, you have a pretty decent canvas that you have to work with. Mm -hmm. But if you do notice heavy bruising, heavy, big lumps in the backside, do your very best to avoid that area. Yeah, no, I would just like honestly roll around on the hard floor in the area that I injected. So I could try to like even that out or disperse it a little bit more because it's just like a thicker substance in there. It's it's different. Yeah. And even I will say for people that are able to do their injections at night or first thing in the morning, jumping into a hot shower afterwards can be helpful Mm -hmm. if you don't have time to sit there with a heating pad. If you're rushing in the morning and you have to get to work or do whatever, jump into that hot planet so that you can do your injection and then jump in that hot shower and let that heat and water do its magic too. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. Absolutely. In working with people and just talking with women in general, what do you see are the biggest mistakes that people are making when they are doing the medications? Yeah. So I would say as a nurse in the fertility clinic, I saw a lot. Oh my gosh. I don't even know where to start. I have seen people start off their IVF stim with their trigger, which is no good. Luckily, she was I think she was still able to continue on, but doing the wrong medication can definitely be a cause for cancellation or can mess with your hormones. It can really throw you off track. I have seen people when you have to administer the trigger injection, one of them, you do have to mix powder into a diluent, so into liquid. I've heard somebody who just injected the liquid without mixing it into the powder. So she essentially gave herself 
just saline. And that trigger is so important for retrieval. Yeah. I mean, it's so sad to even hear about some of these things that happen because it truly, again, you're banking on this medicine to work. You are relying on this medicine to get you to your next step in your journey of growing your family. So it's very disheartening to see. And I also, again, I think that it's wild that we as an industry allow this to take place without proper teaching. I'm sure I have so many more, but those were the two that I think really Mm -hmm. hurt my heart. Yeah. And on that, though, is it if you are a patient, right, and you are unsure of what you need to do, is it okay to call your clinic? 100%. Questions to your nurse? Yes. Okay. 1,000% advocate for yourself in any situation. But in terms of medication, if you are unsure, again, there's so many good resources out there. But at the end of the day, you are responsible for it because it's at your home. It's during closed hours. You are the one that's going to be doing it. Some clinics, I don't know that I can speak for all of them, but some clinics will have an on-call physician that you can call in the middle of the night if you do have a question. I know my old clinic had that and it was a wonderful resource. Even if Mm -hmm. you don't live in Pittsburgh and you have a question, your clinic's closed, you can't get a hold of somebody, call me. I will do my best to help. I can't promise that I'll know your specific instructions, but in general terms, I will do my best to help. But 1000% advocate for yourself and ask those questions. Don't be that person that thinks, oh, I don't want to bother anybody. Because at the end of the day, nobody has your back in this journey the way you do. So if that means that you have to call a nurse at 3.30 and the office closes at 4, call them. That's what they're there for and that's what they should be there for. They are your resource. Utilize it. Yes, love that. Thank you for making us feel a little bit more comfortable in reaching out as a former fertility nurse. Like, that's really helpful. Yeah. I think sometimes as patients, we just see there's so much going on all the time. Sure. And it sometimes gets the sense that everything is rushed Mm -hmm. and some clinics more than others. And so sometimes I think patients are hesitant to call the nurse and ask any questions. So Yeah. yeah, I appreciate that. Okay. I think this is the last question. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us about the medications, the injections, any other thing that you think listeners would really need to know? Sure. I would say, aside from the tips that I shared, I would say the biggest thing too is give yourself time, especially when you are just starting out and say you decide you're going to give your injections at 8 p.m. Give yourself 30 minutes because the more that you rush through the preparation process, the more likely you are to make one of those mistakes. I know I would give myself like five minutes just to get everything together, have them prepared and ready to go. If you are just starting out and it's your first injection ever, give yourself 30, 40, however long it is that you feel like you need, only because if you slow down, you take your time, you think about the next steps, then again, you're just less likely to make an error. Yeah, that's such a helpful tip. 
yeah, there's nothing better than time. And the more time you have, the less stressed out you will be. Mm-hmm. And it'll just be a nicer process overall. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I also will say, though, we can un like a shamed plug right now, but I had clients who were like at events when they needed to start their injections. So I was on FaceTime with them in their cars, but had my demo supplies here, walking them step by step. So it was honestly mindless for them, but also, oh my gosh, I need to hurry because I need to get back into this event or back into work or whatever it is that you're doing, where if you need someone to just quickly walk you through the steps so that you aren't concerned about having to try to remember every bit in peace. I'm here. <laughs> so where can people find you and how can they work with you actually? Absolutely. So I would say you can find me on Instagram. I have an Instagram page, 412 Fertility. I do have a Facebook, but honestly, I don't post much on there. I'm not a big Facebook girl. But I do have both of those. I have a website, 412fertility.com. I am a huge fan of just messaging or text me. You can absolutely call. You can email. You put in an inquiry on my website. But I'm a pretty laid back, casual kind of gal. So if you just want to text, I know I get like really anxious having to call people or like trying to formulate like a proper email. Just text me totally good. I do offer in-home services here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hopefully one day we'll be able to expand into other cities, but that is way down the road. But for anybody outside of the region, I would be happy to do a virtual appointment via FaceTime, Zoom, whatever it is that is easiest for you. Sounds amazing, Megan. Well, I will link all of those things below. Perfect. And I really appreciate you being here and sharing so so much much. knowledge. So thank you so much again. Thank you. This is so exciting. Congrats on your podcast. It's going to be so good. Thank you so much. And I'm going to love having you back again for another episode. Yes. (laughs) Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for allowing me to share these stories, information, and tips with you, or really just allowing me to connect with you on a subject that's so dear and important to your life. I really hope that somewhere out there I was able to reach one of you and to let you know that, again, you're not alone on this journey. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and do me a solid and share this with your friends or anyone that you think might benefit from hearing this. Also, I'd love it if you could leave a rating or review from wherever you're listening. If you have any questions or you want to share anything about what you heard today with us, please leave a comment on YouTube or Spotify. And for a deeper dive on today's episode, bonus content, and to connect with others in this space, I invite you to join True Fertility Tribe Facebook group. And last but not least, let's be friends on Instagram where I post almost daily. You can find me at True Fertility, wishing you all baby dust. Till next time. Bye.